RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 41, Star Trek Saves a Life. Welcome into a supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Now, this is a bit of an unusual supplemental in that it centers around a particular episode of Star Trek, the Deep Space Nine episode, Captive Pursuit. We've gotten a few emails about this episode that we want to share. Uh, But before that, we have a guest that we'd like to speak with. Yeah, um... If you ever feel stupid for how much you love Star Trek, don't. And our guest today will illustrate why. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Trek Geeks podcast, you should check them out at trekgeeks.com. Bill Smith and Dan Davidson do a weekly Star Trek podcast that is as much about their friendship as it is about their mutual love of Star Trek. It's smart, it's funny, and sometimes it gets really personal. So today, we welcome one half of Trek Geeks, Dan Davidson, because when we discussed Captive Pursuit, we knew that the episode played an important role in Dan's life. It's hard to overstate how profound a moment it was for Dan, and we want to let our listeners know now that this is a serious topic and may not be suitable for all listeners. So, Dan, I want you to catch us up here. Um, I'll give the the brief explanation that... uh, You, at a certain point in your life, had hit a point of depression, desperation, loneliness through a a multitude of of personal circumstances, and you had hit absolute rock bottom um, in a a really profound way. Um, For people who want to hear more of the details of that, I encourage them to go to trekgeeks.com and check out episode 114, uh, where you talk about uh, how you had arrived there and and what that process was. But this is where your life story intersects with this particular episode of Deep Space Nine. And I wonder if you can just take us uh, again to that moment and uh, and what happened in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I had reached rock bottom and uh, I had figured that the only way that I was going to get out of the situation was to commit suicide. I had decided upon it. I was going to do it. I prepared everything, note, uh, all that kind of stuff that that you hear about and see in movies and and television shows and so forth. Um, Very vividly remember that night at the condo that I lived in at the time up in the loft. I had a drink on the table. I had the note on the table. I had pictures of my family and, and I had a gun. I was able to get a gun and was ready to do it. Um, literally had the gun in my mouth, had the hammer pulled, and as desperate as somebody may be, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Memories just start flooding through your mind, uh, and I happened to be staring straight ahead as I was preparing to do it, and I had taped episodes of Deep Space Nine on VHS cassettes, and I happened to have one playing, and Captive Pursuit was on at the time that I was about to do this. And very specifically, the scene where O'Brien wants Tosk to request asylum so that he can be protected by the Federation and talking about how important life is. That was playing at the time that I was about to pull the trigger, and it made me stop. And 
that entire rest of the episode, I sat and watched and thought and cried. And at the end of the episode, I just crumpled on the floor and cried for what seemed like hours. And without a doubt and without any any odd feeling in my mind, if that had not been playing at the time that I was doing this, I would not be alive today. Captive Pursuit, Cole Meany, Star Trek Deep Space Nine are the reason that I'm alive today. Because for some strange reason, that episode happened to be on at the time that I was ready to end it all. What was the moment? Because, I mean, what's weird is, and people have just heard our um, examination of Captive Pursuit earlier this week, doesn't have a happy ending. No, it doesn't. Nobody saves anybody. In that episode, there has to have been some moment that you saw that you heard. I mean, what was it? I mean, was it what was it about the asylum speech or about the asylum offer that did that? I think it was just the fact that O'Brien was talking to someone that he barely knew was a new race, was the first person other than Odo to come from the from the Gamma Quadrant through the wormhole. And he was ready to to do whatever it took to help this person so that he wasn't taken back in shame and to spend the rest of his life being made fun of. That struck a chord with me that, you know, this person who he doesn't know's life is so important to him. And here I am ready to just end it all. And that sparked something in me, which I don't think a lot of people who are on the verge of suicide um, who go through with it, I, I would think, don't think of all the other people that it's going to affect and the absolute it's not just you're not just ending your life you're changing the lives of everybody around you forever those of you and your family and your friends and that's what i think i was crying about after the episode ended that speech that he gave and it wasn't a long speech but it it just had something that struck a chord with me and stopped me from doing what I was about to do. And as I say in the Trek Geeks episode, I could have been milliseconds away from pulling the trigger. It was that close. I was as close to doing that act as you can possibly be without going through it, through with it. And it just happened to be that scene was on at the time. And it and I will always um, attribute Captive Pursuit with the reason why I'm alive today. You guys did your episode about Captive Pursuit, and you talked in in great detail and with great honesty about that on a show which you guys usually keep pretty light. <laughs> There's right. a lot yep. of humor in your show, <laughs> sure. And and I just wonder um, how is it for you to even go back and watch an episode that has such a profound touch point such a link to a moment in your life that you even had the courage to go on the air to all of your listeners and and Mm -hmm. talk to your friend about this moment i i watching that episode what what does it do to you to to put you back in that in that mind frame it's it's funny um it's it's got both really happy and really nervous and sad parts to it. Bill and I talked a long t- for a long time over the course of oh, maybe even close to a year of when we wanted to do this discussion and did I want to to come and talk about it, uh, open it all up for everybody to hear. And and I wanted to because I think it's important for, for people to know the story, not just, you know, so maybe so that they know me a little bit better, but 
if there are people that I can help, if my words are able to help one person who might be in this type of despair and don't think that there's anything that can be done, I'm living proof that there is something. And something as simple as a television show was able to do it for me. There are always people available to listen. There are hotlines you can call. And as we talked about whether or not we wanted to do it, that became an important part of the conversation. Let's get it out there so people know that there are that there is help out there. Um, over the years, it had been a, a an episode that would always cause me to tear up, to to remember the bad things that happened because it was the even though it was the turning point for me, it still was a reminder of the tough times that I went through. But recently, and as a matter of fact, just uh, just last night when I rewatched it just to prepare for, for today, I found myself smiling because so much good has come out of what happened from all the bad, if that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so I look at my life now and how happy I am and I've got an amazing wife and a, and a loving family and it all it almost never happened. And I don't believe it would have happened if if the incident with captive pursuit being on television that night didn't occur. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that I can still get a little bit tense about, but it's something that I always have no problem talking to people about if they want to hear the story, uh, because uh, it's proof that, that uh, good things happen, even at the worst of times. I have two questions I want to ask you. Um, the first is, there was a night that Star Trek saved your life. Mm -hmm. But you also said on your episode about Captain Pursuit, you had a tape of Star Trek that you kept running. Like, pretty much if you were home, Star Trek was on. Right. Obviously, Star Trek is going to take a, a, I would guess, a higher place of prominence on the night that it stops you from killing yourself. Mm -hmm. But what did Star Trek mean to you before that? Well, it's funny. My fandom started with, <laughs> with a loathing of Star Trek, to be honest with you. I was the youngest child and my brother was the oldest of the three and he got to watch what he wanted and it was star trek <laughs> and i wanted to watch i don't know gilligan's island or brady bunch or something like that so <laughs> i got stuck watching star trek and i was like oh my god this is just awful but i grew to learn i learned to like it because it was always on and as the original series um was on more and more in syndication and then the movies came out i became a big fan uh i i leapfrogged over my brother in fandom and uh, of course, then you know TNG came out. It had be it had become a a central point of my life for a number of years. Um, so the fact that I can also say that this thing that I love so much was eventually the thing that literally saved my life puts it on such a plateau that I'm not exactly sure how I can describe my fandom to people without bringing that story into the mix at some point. Uh, it, you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't know if obsessive is the right word, but it literally is the world that I revolve around. Everything is related to it in some way, form, or fashion, no matter what it's regular discussion or things that go on in everyday life. It's always there somewhere and it makes me happy. Um, so it may be kind of a long winded answer for you, but uh, it was there before, it's there now, but because of that central point, it's on a level that I can't really describe. I'll always be thankful to Star Trek. And the other question, I mean, when you share a story like the story, uh, story that you're sharing with us today, add more in depth on episode 114 of Trek Geeks, John and I have talked to a guy who, it was actually Majel, it was not Star Trek, that stopped him from killing himself, but he was at STLV, 
and he was thinking about doing that, and he bumped into her and that. You must have had other people share similar stories, I'm assuming, without without you know breaking confidentiality or anything like that. Uh, what what kind of feedback have you gotten, either from people who said, yeah, I was there too, and I pulled back, or, you know, thank you because it made me think of whatever? I mean, what kind of responses have you gotten from sharing your story? Since we shared the story, um, we have gotten a few emails uh, into Trek Geeks thanking uh, us and me for telling the story. One gentleman in particular said something that, that just I can't even comprehend to this day, and this this was a couple months ago. He said that, our show, Trek Geeks, is what Captive Pursuit was to me. He's using our show as his escape from the despair and tough times that he's going through right now. I, I can't even I can't even fathom that. And and the amount of pride and, and gratitude to Bill and, and and to be able to do this and, and just talk about what we love so much can have that kind of effect on a person and help someone is exactly what I was referring to just a few minutes ago when I said that if my words can do something to help someone, then it, it's worth it. And I never would have expected someone saying that, that Trek Geeks is doing something similar as to what Captive Pursuit did for me. I talked about how uh, something bad like this happened with me and Captive Pursuit pulled me out of it. And I, I got to say that I think the one thing that I have left in my life that I want to do is shake Colmini's hand for 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 him literally being the person that pulled me out of that abyss. But out of everything that happened, I've always been a very strong believer in fate. My wife has taught me that. She is a very strong believer in fate and things happen for a reason. So all the bad things that happened to me happened for a reason. And that was so that I could get through it, thanks to Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Captive Pursuit, so that at the end of the tunnel, as I've always called it, my wife is standing there. And I would go through all of that pain and despair and desperation that I went through, knowing that at the end of the tunnel was that, quote unquote, reward, which is, is my wife, Susan. And I think it's important, again, for people to understand that if you're going through a a tough time like this, it's very important to know that there is help out there and people will get through it. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but there is light at the end of that tunnel. And I'm living proof that um, things can come out better after the fact than you ever thought possible. And I'm always eternally grateful for that. Dan, thank you so much, uh, not only for taking your time out here, but, but for sharing something very personal on, on your show and on our show, and uh, it's, it's really appreciated, man. It is my pleasure and honor to talk to you, gentlemen, as well as all of your listeners. Thank you very, very much for having me on. So something that Bill and Dan did during their episode, and again, episode 114 of the Trek Geeks, if you want to check it out, is give the number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And we'll do that too, because I don't know if people believe in fate. Oh, I know people believe in fate. I don't know if anybody listening believes in fate, but um, you never know what people are going to hear when they're going to hear it and, you know, what they're going to need to hear or whatever. So... National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. That is 800-273-8255. And uh, for, for you people out there who don't realize you can actually make calls on your phone, 
Uh, there is also a website. It is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I think I think they said actually on their show that there is a chat function to that. Mm. So good. There's help out there. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org, or the phone number again is eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. All right. So like we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this is an episode that for whatever reason, we started getting in emails right away, uh, actually before the episode dropped. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and read a couple of those and uh, riff on those for a moment. Uh, the first one says the single best moment in this episode is when Cisco tells Odo there's no rush. Odo's response was so perfect. We could have seen Cisco saying there's no hurry and then move somewhere else and the same message would have been apparent. That message being Cisco is on the side of Tosk. But to have Odo literally slow down to a slow saunter is awesome. What would have been better is had Odo stopped to inquire about the Dabo Girl contract that Cisco was involved in. I think it's the most in-your-face moral dilemma that we've seen on Star Trek with regard to the Prime Directive. You guys have said that the biggest difference with this iteration of Star Trek is tone. It's dark, and this story is very much so in my mind. As I ended the show, I found myself asking, what would Kirk and Picard do? The answer I came up with is that Kirk would have forced them off the station and opened fire on the ship if they didn't leave. And that would have been Act 2. Picard and Act 5 would have been talking up to that point, talking and talking and talking. In the end, Riker would have done what O'Brien did, taking the matter out of Picard's hand, What's different with that scenario and what happened in this episode is that Cisco is culpable. We find that out at the end when Cisco, without saying so, admits he helped O'Brien along the way. So to me, Cisco fell somewhere between Kirk and Picard in the response here. Thanks, gentlemen. Your podcast is fantastic. I will listen while you're still on. So in 2035, I'll still be there. Scott. <laughs> what are we going to be up to in 2035? I can't remember. We're past Kolchak at that point, right? Yeah, I think we're at least at Moonlighting. Yeah. Maybe in the later seasons of Moonlighting. Not sure. By the yeah. way, I came across something online the other day. Um, I'm warming to the idea of the Super Train uh, podcast. As you should be. Well, yeah. hey, listen, mm -hmm. don't be that way because I'll dig in my heels. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm warming to the idea of the Super Train okay. podcast. All right. You get smarmy right. about it, and I might just, mm -hmm. uh, I might say, no, 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 let's do Guiding Light first. <laughs> and, and, that'll... and then a hundred years later, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to Super Train. Uh, we yeah. do have another email that we want to hit. Um, first part of this episode left me a bit puzzled, says Kevin. Kevin wrote in from Boston. The first part of this episode left me a bit puzzled. When Tosk comes through the wormhole, this should have been a significant occasion. The first contact with another species from the Gamma Quadrant. Pretty momentous, right? Then Cisco suspends first contact protocol and assigns the chief engineer to make the initial contact with the alien. A little later, Cisco tells the chief that once their visitor's ship has been repaired, if he didn't want to stay, to let him go on his merry way. Cisco's nonchalance about the situation was curious, especially considering the historic weight of the moment, what happened to seek out new life and new civilizations. But then the rest of the episode happened. Despite my initial annoyance, I sat back to enjoy the episode on its own merits, and really found it to be a terrific episode. The Miles-Tosk relationship was engaging, real, and sincere. It was a very different first contact than we had seen before, and explored the experience in, dare I say, a bold new way. Tosk and the Hunters didn't really care about making first contact. What they cared about was the hunt, and the people on DS9 were getting in the way of that. 
This approach turned the normal first contact story on a tear and led me to become engrossed by and empathetic to Tosk's situation. This episode reminded me of TNG's Half a Life. In both situations, we find a civilization who are exhibiting behavior that our crew initially finds abhorrent. In one case, it's the forced suicide of the elderly. In this one, it's the hunting of one sentient species by another. In both cases, we didn't have the Kirk solution to radically change the civilization and stop them from doing this distasteful behavior. Instead, it's about still disagreeing but respecting the other civilization enough to not stomp on their beliefs, but to be open to infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Very thought-provoking stuff, so says Kevin. Yeah, I I think those are the points that really struck you and me in mm-hmm. recording our episode about uh, uh, about uh, this particular DS9, about Captain Pursuit. Nothing in it was really clean. And what I appreciated is that the writers were able to present a situation that at first felt very cut and dried, very black and white. This is wrong. We need to offer protection. But then you get to a point where they complicate the situation a little bit further. The more and more you learn, the less of a clean situation this becomes. I think that's sort of the beauty of being able to tell this kind of story in fiction, in particular science fiction. What Star Trek has always done very well Take the problem, remove it enough from yourself, remove it enough from the current day that then you can sort of get lost in the character, lost in the action, and really start to play with that gray moral area. That, that, that's why I think this episode has struck such a nerve. Yeah. I will say I do wonder how this episode would be written today. And I know it's a point that I uh, mentioned a couple of times when we actually did the episode, so I won't linger on it too long. But we're now entering an age where we can build things that are much more lifelike to do things that if we had humans doing them, we might find reprehensible. And so, I mean, it's interesting to, I mean, it's a very interesting story. I wonder how they would tell that story today, if there would be any any sort of changes or any sort of uh, a different way to look at it. But there is actually new Star Trek being made all the time now so maybe somebody will go back and say oh that was an interesting treatment i wonder how it would look today i I think i asked you a while back if you were watching the new westworld on hbo and at the time it was no i don't know if by now you've caught up with it at all. no it was never no i i I, oh no i I was watching it from the start i don't know i don't know when the i don't know when the second season starts or if it has started then i probably missed the first episode but no i watched it all the way through you did. Okay. Because I, I think that that's sort of the, the place that they're playing with is this idea that's very much on your mind, that when we have the ability to do things like this, you, you, you create this AI that you can interact with, and you can play out whatever it is that you want to. What does that say about you? That, right. That's the central question about Westworld. It is not, cool, look at these AI. The question is, now, who are you when you're faced with that possibility? Um so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, that, that treads into that same area that, uh, that you're talking about there. Look, this is a fantastic episode. I, I felt like when we got to the end of the podcast that we had barely scratched the surface, <laughs> that we could keep going on this one. And we're only five into Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Uh, because here we are, we've had these thought provoking, uh, questions. And, um, I, I just, I have to say that, you know, part of the privilege of doing mission log, 
is that we get to hear from all of you. And we get to hear these personal stories like the one that we heard from Dan. We get to hear the great philosophical, moral questions that come to us from our listeners. Um, this this experiment today is, again, just scratching the surface uh, because we get loads and loads of email and comments that, that we get to read, but we don't always get to answer. Um, so thank you all for uh, for for responding and being a part of this conversation and sharing your own ideas. Um you know, if you recall Ken back when we started Mission Log, Rod said that one of the things that that was important to him to explore is that as a kid, people kept coming up to him and said Star Trek changed my life. And he didn't understand why. He just knew that this was a thing that people said to him. And part of the creation of this podcast was to explore that idea. Well, the people say it changed their lives. How and why and what does that mean? And now we get to have that conversation on a weekly basis with people. And we actually get to hear the why. And, And I'm glad that we got to share a little slice of that with our audience today. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to be doing a supplemental episode for every episode of Mission Log that we do. Um, it is always interesting though, to hear people say Star Trek changed my life and to hear how the fact that we know a guy who can say Star Trek saved my life. We sort of felt like that was something that we wanted to, uh, they wanted to explore a little bit more and wanted to bring to other people as well. So if you have a comment you'd like to uh, send our way, something you'd like to uh, talk to us about, I can't guarantee that we will get a supplemental out of it, but we would still love to hear from you. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, that would be grand. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Of course, we've got the show website, including Discover Documents, and a place to leave other comments, missionlogpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, we may not use your comments on an upcoming episode, but we may. Uh, so know that when you send them in. And once again, everybody, uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, or on the web, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And thank you for listening today. Podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.